you know, media is a funny thing. You know, I'm a I'm a communications major, and over the past two years, I've learned quite a bit about the power that media has on society, and also just how much society has an effect on media. They have a very, you know, they have a mutual relationship. You can't have one without the other. You know, the big problem is that when people just accept what is given to them through media and don't critique it, then the quality of the media eventually and inevitably goes down. The worst quote ever, in my opinion, from a children's movie would have to probably be from Bambi. I'm not sure why people like that movie. Um, I, I just, it's slow. Um, the characters are just not really well, well created in my opinion. I don't know. I don't know why they like that movie. But the worst quote ever from a children's movie would have to be from Bambi. Thumper, who to me was probably one of the worst characters of the film, he says this. It's, it's his biggest quote in the entire movie. If you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. I must say, that is one of the worst pieces of advice I have ever heard. Even when I, even when I first saw the film when I was five. If you stay quiet and just take things, eventually things will get worse and worse and worse until they become irredeemable. I, I, don't be afraid to criticize. It's healthy and it's necessary. It's like in life. You have to come to a point where you get tired of being in the same state and place. You have to be honest with yourself and make a positive change. You don't just sit around and let life control the reins. You take hold of the reins of your life and you take responsibility for what is going on. And you will find that there is more control in your life. In media, we have the ability to get rid of the trash that they throw to us and want us to spread to spend our money on. You know, have some standards. Have some principles. Hold on to them and don't let them go. All right. Now let's talk Avengers Endgame. You know, I Avengers. It's it's really been it's really been interesting. You know, I remember when Iron Man, when the first Iron Man came out, uh, and I saw it with my family. I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty interesting. I I wasn't sure what to really think of it. It, you know, it was, it was interesting. I liked it, but I was like, okay, well, let's see, you know, let's see where they go from here. And, uh, you know, it, it came about the first movie I ever saw, the first Marvel movie, not MCU, just Marvel movie that I ever saw was, uh, let's see, Spider-Man. It was Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. And to me, the best fight scene ever in all of like the most classic to me that I could watch all day was in Spider-Man 2 with uh, Spider-Man versus Doc Ock on the clock tower. And then, you know, the fight goes to the train. I love that scene. Absolutely love it. I could, I could watch it on a 10 hour loop and I would not get tired of it.
so you know end game it's it's finally it's finally come to it's finally come full circle all right so actually we're going to do this before end game let's go back to the snap of infinity war i don't know if too many people paid attention to this but it really you know it's something that i that i think about okay so thanos his objective is to wipe away half of all living things okay we understand that but you also have to understand this this doesn't actually bring balance to anything. It would send everything into an even more chaotic state. This includes plants and animals. So you have, so you would have trees, fungus, insects, dogs, cats, grass, everything that's living, including people. The ecological systems of every, of every place within all the galaxies would le- everything would happen would have like a mass extinction and it doesn't make any logical sense because you have to understand everything is being totally disrupted in one split second he snaps his fingers and this it happens instantaneously this doesn't happen over years or days it's literally he snaps and that's it like everything everyone starts everything starts to disintegrate so, you know, it's, it's a little difficult. So it's, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And also the snap would also bring about millions of more deaths of people who didn't disintegrate. Cause you have, you have to understand you have people on planes, buses, and cars that would die. They can't be brought back because they were indirectly affected by the snap. So you'd have planes like falling out of the sky. Because it's very likely that you have, you know, pilots and co-pilots, you know, they're going to, they're going to fall down, you know, they're going to disintegrate and the plane's going to fall because now there's no one on the plane. So, I mean, if a pilot were to go down, you're hoping that at least the co-pilot is still there. But there's also a chance that both the pilot and the co-pilot go down and get sapped away, I should say, and they fall. You know, the plane falls to the ground. And so that's it. And, you know, so all those people die. And, you know, at any time, I want to say, I want to say it's like at least 10,000 to like 15,000, you know, planes are in the air at all times. So it's pretty, it's pretty crazy to think about of all the people that are actually in the, that are actually in the, that are in the air that would have, you know, died from this. Just saying, I don't know if you guys thought about that. Also, I want you to think about this. The time gap, so the time gap is five years. So pretty much everything on earth has stopped for five years. All progress of everything stops. And this is totally unrealistic. It's absolutely unrealistic. If you, if you see the movie, society has pretty much stopped. It's pretty much stopped. Like no one is really doing anything. There's no school. There's no government. There's no nothing. It's literally just like everyone's just sitting there all depressed. And I can completely, I can completely understand being depressed. That's totally fair. But society literally stops. And that just wouldn't happen. It just, it just wouldn't happen. Also, I'm going to say this. I, I, I think, I think I'm not the only one who, who caught this. But, do, but if you notice that after the reuniting happened, Everyone's the same age. 
Like, like, do you guys realize this? So, so like, look at this. If you look at the high school scene where all the high schoolers that didn't disintegrate are there and they're, you know, everyone's hugging each other and laughing and crying and all of that. These high schoolers should not be in high school. Like, are, like, are you aware of that? These high schoolers should not be in high school. At the very, at the very latest, you have, you have the youngest who would, who would have been freshmen at the time of the snap. Now it's been five years. So those who are freshmen would now be 19. And then you'd have the seniors who would be like 18, maybe 18, 19. They would be, they'd be 23 or 24. So what are they doing at the high school? Do you realize this? And no one, like you look at, you look at Ned, Peter's best friend. For some inexplicable reason, he is the exact same age. He's the, he's the same dumpling that he was five years before. So Ned, based off my calculations, he should be, he should be at least 20 years old and outside of high school, but that's not the case. For some reason, no one has aged in five years. Also, Thor. You know, my roommate, he really likes Thor. To me, I, I never really cared for him, but this movie, he just really annoyed me. Because for some reason, they thought, you know, let's just make him fat. Let's just make him, let's just make him depressed and fat. And I mean, Thor is the god of thunder, so he has some prestige. He has some status. And in this movie, he's just fat, depressed, and playing Fortnite in the film. It, it, it's, te- it's terrible. Thanos is technically weaker in this film. And Thor, so Thor in the movie later on, he has, he eventually gets back Molnir because he goes to, uh, he goes to Asgard with Rocket to get the ether out of, uh, out of Jane. Okay. And so they go and he retrieves Molnir. And he also has Stormbreaker. So now he has, you know, he has his, his original hammer and then he has his axe Stormbreaker. Okay. So that is really, you know, that's kind, that's kind of important. Thor couldn't take Thanos when, when he had both of them. So that, that doesn't make any sense. Also, vision. What, okay, what, Okay, what happened to Vision? Did the Avengers just forget about him? Did they not care? I mean, I mean, seriously, what happened? Like, did did they just forget he existed? Like, he was absolutely crucial in Age of Ultron and Infinity War. You know, Tony and Bruce—they're not going to try and recreate him. What 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 happened with that? Okay. So the most problematic plot hole, in my opinion, is the simple fact that Doctor Strange's entire Endgame plan doesn't make any sense at all. I probably, you know, I probably won't even call it a plan. So, because in Avengers Infinity War, Strange explores 14,605 different possible outcomes in the battle against Thanos, and he identified only one of them where they would be triumphant. 
So he then chooses to hand over the time stone to Thanos at a carefully chosen moment, insisting there was no other way. So presumably, Strange's timing was based on the need for Scott Lang to be stranded in the Quantum Realm when Thanos snapped his fingers, and for Tony Stark to stay alive in order to ultimately snap his fingers. Okay, but here's the problem with all of that. Doctor Strange's plan, and again, I hate using that word, is predicated totally on luck. And like, random chance. So let's think about this. If, so, when you see, you see the van, it's in, it's in storage, and, uh, on, you know, there's a rat that's running along the front of the car. So, li- so seriously, think about this. It requires, the plan requires a rat to run across the controls of the quantum tunnel in just the right order to free Scott from the quantum realm. If that doesn't happen, the whole film doesn't happen. Like you, like you have to understand this. The Avengers, if if the rat, if the whole rat didn't happen, and remember, he has to, the rat has to hit the right buttons and switches in the right order to get Scott out. So the Avengers never would have hit their time travel plan in the first place. The snap would never have been undone. The, the whole movie ceases to exist. So pretty much, so pretty much, I did, I did some research on the odds of this. Of the, of the one, just, just, we'll just listen. Okay, these odds are unreal. This would practically be the equivalent of getting hit by lightning 20 times in your life. There's a 1 in 700 chance of getting struck by lightning just one time. So, you have to multiply that by 20 to get, to get these odds of the 1 in 14,605 you know that that chance is just it's uh, it's unbelievable it it totally doesn't make any sense and then let's let's talk about the actual let's talk about the actual battle okay cuz cuz that is a huge part because there's so many different things going on in the battle if just one thing just one thing like even even if just a pebble is in one different place it could affect someone's footing and all of that and it it causes a snowball effect or as, or as, or as you know, the butterfly effect. Okay. So the final battle, it's a war between the heroes and the armies of Thanos. In this huge scenario, just the smallest action could change the entire flow of events. So Tony could have been a little bit further away from Thanos, and the Mad Titan would have, you know, the Mad Titan would have won. If Tony had just slipped in the mud, when he's running to intercept Thanos, everything would be rewritten. So pretty much Doctor Strange's plan is simply a matter of luck. So I I can't even call it a plan. It's almost like a... It's almost like a wish list. It's, It's almost like a wish list. The vast... Okay. And here... And also here's another problem. In mo... So... The the movie is pretty much about time travel. That's pretty much the whole plot of the film. So Endgame Endgame is really no different in movies where it comes where time travel takes place because time things with things with time travel don't make any sense. They just don't. So the Hulk has an explanation in which the past and the future form a sort of loop, pretty much meaning that it's 
pretty much impossible to rewrite history. He explains it this way, if you travel back in time, then the future becomes your past and therefore cannot be changed. It's roughly, so it's kind of, it kind of goes along with modern quantum theories that we have today. But those are, those are later thrown out the window in the film. So you have the ancient one that modifies these, uh, this idea and suggests that removing an infinity stone creates an alternate timeline. The Avengers need to return them in order to save that timeline. And then you have another twist where in the end, Captain America goes back to the past, lives with the love of his life, Peggy Carter. So pretty much, so, okay, like, think about this. It's not, it's like nothing is adding up. Has he been living in the background of the MCU all of this time? Or did his traveling back create another alternate reality? The film, it, it doesn't explain this. The, Rus- the Russo brothers had a, they had an interview and they, tr- they tried explaining this and I watched it, but it still didn't make any sense. So, so Joe pretty much explained it like this. If you go back to the past, you simply create a new reality. The characters in this movie created new timelines when they went back to the past, but it had no effect on the prime universe. What happened in the past 22 movies was still canon. So that's why War Machine interrupted the opening scenes of the Guardians of the Galaxy where he knocked out, you know, he knocked out Quill. Because it, you know, his presence created a whole new timeline. It's, you know, just man. And so by this logic, Steve Rogers has created a new timeline by going back to be with Peggy Carter. So at the end of Endgame, he somehow manages to make the jump from his timeline back to the back to the Prime One in order to give Sam a shield. Which shield? We don't know. Because I was thinking, I was thinking about watching the movie. Okay, so if you so in the movie, I mean Thanos just hacks away at Captain America's shield, and I'm thinking, yes, Captain America is finally about to die. Like we're finally getting rid of him. I love Captain America, but it was like, okay, dude, it's time for you to die. So Thanos hacked away at that and like split it in half. So that shield was like beyond repair. But he comes back after, after living his life with Peggy. He comes back. He's an old man sitting on a bench looking longingly at a lake. And he has a shield with him and he gives it to Sam and Sam and anoint Sam as a new Captain America. So it just it really it really just doesn't match. And it also doesn't explain why the Avengers returned the Infinity Stones. So according to Joe Russo's account, Cat traveling back in time to return them just create even more alternate timelines. So pretty much Endgame, it's not any better in its in its concept of time travel than any other films it actually pokes fun at. And also also the great thing about movies with time travel is that you know it hasn't been done yet and it hasn't we haven't accomplished it. So what happens is we we can't really understand and wrap our minds around uh time travel. Like we have all these theories but 
Let's be honest, we don't know. We don't know. And, you know, we, we do it, but it, we, we really, we really don't understand. So when you have time travel movies, you can use, you can pretty much just have any plot hole or question answered with, with the answer of time travel. Cause we don't understand it. And I, and based on what I believe and my estimations that we never will actually understand it. Okay. So also, another thing that bothered me in the, you know, as I was thinking about this movie, were the PIM particles. Okay, so part the part of the problem in the movie is that the Avengers are short on PIM particles, which means that they can only make so many trips to the past. But here, but here's 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 what I didn't think about, or what I what I came to realize probably a couple days later after seeing the film. So here's what they could have done. They had PIM particles with them. Why didn't they just break their time heist into two phases? So you take the PIM particles that you have and you go back and you go back to get as many PIM particles as possible. You know, they would have gone back to the 70s and all of that. Okay? So you go, so phase one, you take the PIM particles that you have with you in the present, you go to the past and you get all the pen particles there. You bring those and now you have more, uh, you have, you know, pretty much more, you have, you now have more safety nets because they don't have a safety net. Like they've got one shot. Yeah. So phase two is traveling around the timeline to collect the infinity stones. It's all to me, it was almost like they just didn't think about that. Which is kind of strange because you have a genius in Hulk, a genius in Scott Lang, a genius in Tony Stark, and not one not one of these three great minds thought of this? Seriously. Because because here's the thing. Once you re because see here's the thing. They test and see if time travel is possible. They see, oh wait, it works. So then all you can do, you just go back and get the PIM particles. It, it, I, I don't know. It just, it just didn't make any sense to me. Also, another question I had. So in Thor the Dark World, which to me, I, it didn't, a lot of people didn't like it. I did. I, 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 I kind of liked it. Um, so in Thor the Dark World, they have you they're trying to get the ether from Jane Foster. They're trying to remove it from her. But the Asgardians don't know how to do that. Only the Dark Elves do. So, you know, Jane it's it's just it's just strange. Thor Thor takes Jane to the Dark Elves. He gives he gives Malekith a chance to extract the ether and then attacks Jane, and then once Jane's safe, pretty much attacks because now the ether is now vulnerable. Okay. But the event in the in Endgame, the Avengers are able to put together a simple device to draw the ether out of Jane. How? I don't know. I don't know. They managed to do it on the basis of Thor like Thor Thor is really just an atrocity in this film. He's a stone cold atrocity. Like 
he's like a drunken, a drunken stumble bum just standing there and he's just talking and going on and on. And they're like, bro, what are you saying? What are you, what, like, what are you actually talking about? And so somehow they can figure out how to do it based off him talking about nothing. It just, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, luck in this movie. I mean, luck is the MVP. Like, luck is the absolute MVP in this film. Okay. Now. What else do I have a problem with? Let's, let me think. Let me think. I already talked about Stormbreaker. Okay. Okay. So. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Scott Lang. Alright. In his previous, in his previous appearances as Giant Man. Scott Lang, he gets, okay, so when he grows and shrinks, it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. In Endgame, he, he, he grows and he smashes like, you know, giant alien arms and then shrinks back like it's no big deal to help, you know, to help get his van and like hotwire it and all of that. He should have collapsed from exhaustion. Like he changes so many times. And also, the question comes up, pen particles. He needs those to grow and shrink. Where did he get those? How how does he do that? Seriously, like, how does he come up with, like, where is it? Like, are they in his back pocket? Like, like we don't know. Okay. Scott Lang is also very, very clear about this. Hank Pym was stamped out of existence. The Avengers only have enough pin particles for one round trip to the past plus two test runs. But then it becomes one test run because Scott accidentally shrinks himself during the testing process. It's just, it's just terrible. Like, I, like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. It makes absolutely no sense. Okay. So, it just, I, I, Man, this movie, this movie could have been really good, but there were just, there were just so many, there were just so many things. Okay. There are so many more, but you know, I'd be, I'd be talking for hours, like serious, like probably actual hours. All right. So here's, so here's also another problem I had. This scene was just utterly laughable. So we all know, we all saw that feminist scene. We all saw it. We all, we all did. And we all had our own thoughts about it. Okay. So, so pretty much here's what happens. They're playing keep away in the final battle. They're playing keep away with the gauntlet. They're trying to keep it away from Thanos. Okay. Peter Parker gets it. You know, he's swinging around, he's swinging, he's swinging. I want to say, if I remember correctly, he gets hit by a blast, knocking him to the ground, and, like, he's hurt, and he looks like he's mortally wounded. And they go, and, you know, Captain Marvel comes and hovers over him. And so, he's like, you know, how are you going to get there? You know, what are you going to do? And it's just, it's it's... It's so hilarious. I mean, literally, someone on some, one of the writers was like, "Hey, I have an idea. Let's let's just have let's just have these let's just have all the strong independent women, female characters, just come out, and they're gonna be right there, and they're just gonna help Captain Marvel. 
which doesn't really make any sense. So, so here's what happens. So right when he asks that question, when, right when he asks that question, you see Captain Marvel and then the camera like starts to zoom out and then, you know, more people come in. I think it's Okoye who says, you know, don't worry, she's got help. So Okoye comes in, like all, like all the women of the MCU come in. Scarlet Witch, Valkyrie, Okoye, Mantis. What is Mantis about to do? What, 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 what is she about to do? Shirley, Hope, uh, you know, Gamora, Nebula, and good old Pepper Potts, who I was never, I was never a fan of. I, I just, I don't know. And she's in her Iron Man suit. Okay. So this scene is completely laughable. It's totally laughable. I mean, they're spread out around the battlefield, and then they all conveniently, they're right there next to each other. I mean, it's just, it was so blatant. It was so blatant. I just, I just don't, I don't even know what to say. It just, man. And also, let's think about this with Captain Marvel. She's supposed to be the strongest superhero in the MCU and can fly at incredible speeds. Like, literally, there's a scene where she, where literally it's like a yellow beam coming from her and she's passing like everybody. And like, pretty much compared to her, everyone is in slow motion. She doesn't need their help. She, t- like, in the movie, she takes, she single-handedly, mind you, single-handedly took out Thanos' entire warship when she was flying into the battle. But for some reason, she just needs assistance to get to the van with the Infinity Gauntlet. That just makes, that just makes a ton of sense right there. It just, you know, and I thought, I thought she'd play a bigger part. Like, I want to say, she probably had 12 to 18 minutes of screen time in the entire three hours. Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. It's like, okay, she gets in, she gets an entire movie, and it's like, okay, you think she make, she plays a major part. She doesn't. Like, you could almost say that she's inconsequential. The biggest thing she does is takes, take out a warship. But then again, you have Thor who could do that. Thor could have done that. Because if you remember in Infinity War, he's taking out like a bunch of ships. So, so Captain Marvel was inconsequential. She didn't make a difference. Okay, so overall, I felt, I felt this could have done, this film could have been done better. But, I do feel somewhat satisfied after the decades worth of work that was put into this. You know, of movie tickets that we've bought and time spent watching and analyzing and all of that. Would I see this movie again? I, I wouldn't. I, I don't think I would. To me, to me, the three hours was just really long, man. I was just like, okay, can we just get to the final battle? And can you actually make sense with this whole time? Can you, can you stick with your laws? Cause here's my thing with time travel. You can have it. Just be consistent with it. And I think it's pretty hard to do because we've never done it. So we don't really know how it works. So to me, the three hours could have been cut to at least 215. But, you know, it's the last movie of of this installment. It's the last installment of this phase. So it's like, okay, you know, they're going to make it longer. So I understood that. Will I see more Marvel movies after this? I doubt it. Unless, unless my girlfriend 
or my future wife or my kids would want to go see them, I would go. But out of my own volition, with me and my friends, I, I can't see it happening. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just how I stand at this moment. And now on to Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 4. The Last of the Starks. I I I don't even I don't even know where to begin. I, okay, so last week I talked about how this show is pretty much irredeemable. The showrunners Dan Weiss and David Benioff, I they they couldn't care less. I don't think they could care less. I think they're just collect, they're just collecting checks at this point. I think what's beautiful is that there's only six episodes. There's only six episodes in this uh, season, and we only have one left, and then we're done. I would like to say to George R. R. Martin, thank you. Thank you for getting us to read more quality books. Thank you for spending decades of your life to create this world of creatures, scenarios, and places out of out of dreamland. You've, I mean, the attention you put in, you, you put into the books is pretty awesome. You know, those books are your babies and your legacy. Your legacy is is set, in my opinion. And I want to say thank you to Dan Weiss and David Benioff. I say good riddance because we have now seen your talent. Now that there are no books to go off of. We now see the lack of vision that you possess. We we now we now we have experienced your version of these great tales by George R. R. Martin. And I want to say this: if I were in an elevator with these two individuals, I would probably turn to them and say this: You have no talent. Your vision was terrible. Your version of these tales stink like moldy cheese. And that would be it. I have a quick question to all of you. You know, in episode one and two of the season, they were talking about, they were at Winterfell and they were talking about how there was a lack of, there was a shortage of food and drink and supplies. So after these guys win, and I know there's a lot of casualties, but still, where do they get all of the wine from and, and ale and all of that? Like, wh- like, where does that come from? Seriously. Because they can't, you can't grow grapes in Winterfell in case you didn't know. It's too cold. So like, are you importing them from the south? Like, 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 what's that all about? So I don't understand that. It's not important, but I was really just thinking about that when I, when I saw that scene. Okay. So people are in, you know, in their episode, they're getting drunk out of their minds. Gendry is about to go hunt. For his girl, Arya. When Danny sees him and decides to promote him. But hold on, hold, hold on, hold on a second. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Okay. The promotion, it doesn't mean anything at this time. Okay, so they're just getting drunk. They're getting more drunk in celebration for, for a guy who didn't really get promoted. It's really a pending promotion. So Gendry then goes, then flexes on his girl and tries to propose to her. 
So if you paid just a little bit of attention to Arya Stark, me and my roommates, we were watching this scene and we all said no. Like we knew that she was going to say no. I mean, it was so obvious because it's very simple. Arya isn't a lady. She doesn't want to sit down. She doesn't, she doesn't want a husband. She doesn't want to be in ceremonies for the rest of her life. From the very beginning, she was a tomboy. She's a tomboy from the get-go. This was so expected. Of course she's going to say no, man. I mean, who, who expected her to say yes? That's, that's not who she is. So I did like that Dan Weiss and David Benioff kept that part. I'm glad they did that. I'll give them credit for that. Okay. Also, Braun, he somehow infiltrates Winterfell with a loaded crossbow in hand. How? We don't know. We don't know. This man, you realize this man, through luck, found Tyrion and Jaime. He probably had to go from room to room and, like, look for these dudes. It's not like it's not like he tried one time and got lucky. Okay? So, that... I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the, the security of Winterfell is just, I mean, F minus, F minus. Seriously. It, it would be the equivalent of this. So I would say like Tyrion is like the vice president. Okay. And Danny would be like Trump. Okay. So Tyrion is like VP Pence. And it's like this. Braun is an assassin who goes to DC and goes to the, the residence of the VP. And holds him at gunpoint. Seriously. Like that, like that's what it's like. Like it's right there. It's like how do you. How do you. Like where. Like where's the security. How is this guy walking around with a crossbow in his hand. Seriously. Like explain that to me. Because I, I don't understand it. Okay. But then again. You gotta think. Everyone's drinking. And no one's really fit for duty. Now. I, I talked about this next part with my, with my, with my roommate for like 20 minutes. I, I couldn't get over it. Like literally we kept rewinding it and I was like, we were going frame by frame looking at this scene. The death, the inexplicable death of Rhaegal. Okay. People, you guys, this, this makes no sense. It makes no sense. Just, just listen. So Danny, She's on a dragon. She's up high in the air. And literally, it's a, it's pretty much a nice day. It, you can see visibility is practically at 100% or as close as, as it's ever going to get. Okay. She would have seen these ships from her vantage point from at least a mile away. I mean, she, here, she has the awareness of Stevie Wonder. There is an enemy fleet of ships led by Euron Greyjoy, who has armed his ships with scorpions headed for for her ships. How does she not see this? She's literally hundreds and hundreds of feet above the ocean. She would see. She would have seen them a long ways away. This this the surprise wouldn't have happened. It just it just wouldn't have happened. And then also. Also, all of a sudden, you have three perfect shots fired at Rhaegal. One in the chest, one in the wing, and then one through the neck. 
Okay, so the chest is a pretty big piece, so I can somewhat understand that. Okay, the neck also. It's a it's a small it would be a small line from the vantage point of Euron's company. So you would see that and it's like, okay, you get lucky on that. So they go so they go three for three. And you know, kill him. And also, historically speaking, this never would have happened for two reasons, this whole situation. Number one, there are scouts that Danny would have sent out to see what exactly the enemy is doing and where exactly they are located. This minimizes surprise surprises. That's what that's what happened even even today. For all of history, you've always in military you always have scouts. You go and see you get all the intel that you can, and then they come back to you. That's why Sansa's, Sansa's comment about, hey, you know, listen, maybe we should let our army rest. That's a reasonable, that's a reasonable, logical, sensical comment. To me, to me, Sansa is the, is the best out of, out of all of these leaders. All of them, all of them to me sink except for Sansa. She's a slow learner, but, you know, I, I really like her, and she's, she's one that I would work for, seriously. So, if they had just waited, if they had just waited, they could have sent some scouts, and they would have known their position. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Also, reason two, these shots never would have hit because, because they wouldn't be that accurate. From that distance. But then again, this in the in these films, I mean not these films, but this series, this TV series, it is the realm of magic and idiocy. So now we're gonna go back to it. So the boys go three for three. So Danny becomes absolutely infuriated with the death of one of her quote unquote children, and watches Rhaegal fall into the ocean into a watery grave. So with all logic and reason and sense out the window, Danny she heads right towards the fleet, all armed with scorpions. This is this is this is just so smart. You know, my mom she had a comment whenever she would see something pretty stupid. She would say, "Well, look at this brilliant individual." And I know my my mom would absolutely hate this show, but if she were watching it, she would be like, "Look at that brilliant individual right there." The fleet might as well have had Danny and Drogon serve to them on a silver platter with apples in their mouths. Seriously. It's a straight shot, and there's like 12 ships. There's 12 ships. So there is no excuse to miss, because they just went 3 for 3 on on a dragon that was farther away and not even flying straight at them. So these shots, these shots with, with Danny coming right at them. It's mo- it's money in the bank. I mean, you can't miss. You can't miss. What if you just went three for three? One of you has to hit. One of you has to hit. Based on this, because we we already we already threw out we already threw out based on the distance that they would miss. Because they just they just hit Rhaegal, so we 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 are throwing out that part of physics and all of that. So this is this is money in the bank. Okay. The okay. So Danny is screaming as she as she gets closer and Euron fires. 
he fires first, which makes everyone else shoot at Danny and her dragon. And they airball. All 12 of them airball. All 12 of them miss the mark. They all miss, which would, would, that would not happen. And also, also wait, they managed to reload the scorpions and fire again within 10 seconds, which wouldn't happen based on where the projectiles are placed on the ship. They're on the lower deck and the, the scorpions are placed on the upper deck. Okay. And now the, and so the projectiles are extremely heavy. They have to be loaded into the scorpion, pulled back, and fired. This would take even even the best of men like 20 seconds. 20 seconds. I mean, come on. But they fire again in a matter of seconds. So you have at least 20 misfires. And here you have Danny having the opportunity to make Euron and, co- and his company crispy critters. Crispy critters. And even, let's, let's go, let's go back to this. Let's go back to this. She sees, she sees Rhaegal go into a watery grave. So the ships are coming at her ships. She could have easily, if she just had just a tad bit of sense, just a tad bit of sense, she could have circled around Euron's fleet, gone behind them, and literally fried them. Because the ships can't turn around. And you can't really turn the scorpions because then you're, you're shooting into your mass. You're shooting into the main mass. And you're, you're, you're causing yourself to be stuck and become dead in the water. So she, if she had just circled around, she could have very easily just made them crispy critters. It would have been over. It would have been over. But no, she didn't do that. She didn't do that. Okay. Just, I mean, just no consistency at all. I mean, I was talking with my roommate about that for like 20 minutes. And I was like, bro, she's dead, though. She's absolutely, like, she's dead. And also you had that one scene where she narrowly dodges uh one coming at her head. Please. 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 It just, it just doesn't make any sense, man. And so, so Euron, so Euron Greyjoy and his company, they, they just blitzkrieg Danny's ships. So they're, so they're destroyed. Tyrion, he dies almost four times getting, you know, impaled, somehow lives, jumps into the water. The main mass falls, hit, would have hit him in the head. Would have knocked him out. He would have drowned. He would have died. So now you're, so now you lost your hand, but that didn't happen. No, no, no. No, that didn't happen. Okay. And also, Missande. Okay. So, how did, okay. I had a question. How did Euron and company manage, like, how did they capture her so quickly? Like, literally, everyone's in the water. It's chaos. There's splinters. There's wood everywhere. Seriously, like, it's everywhere. And they go, how, I don't know how they retrieved her so quickly. Like, they, the boats came over. 
they they went they went they went they got in they must have gone jumped in scooped her out while everyone else magically like just quickly gets gets to land with their backs with their backs to a giant mountain so they have nowhere to go it just it just it just doesn't make any sense it just makes no it just makes absolutely no sense like i mean even Varys. and he's a big boy so he somehow gets on land so if you're you're on Greyjoy and you you have his fleet and you just took out your enemy ships and they are dead in the like they're not even dead in the water they're dead with their backs to a wall they have nowhere to run just kill them the the kills are right there they're literally they're wet they're cold they're shocked they are useless right now just go corner them shoot them and you're good I mean, I mean, I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. You have the numbers on them. They were done, though. Man, I just, it just makes absolutely, it just makes absolutely no sense. So Masande, you know, she gets killed in that memorable death. And also, can I just say, that execution scene, the mountain, I mean, what a perfect swing. That was textbook. Not to sound morbid or anything, but really, like, me and my roommate, we just, we kept rewinding that. And we just, we looked like, man, that's a, that's a good swing. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. And also, why didn't they take Tyrion? I mean, Tyrion, literally, Masande and Tyrion, okay. Masande's a woman. And yeah, it's, it's Daenerys' best friend. But, okay, you have Tyrion. So you have... Supposedly her level of... So you take away her intellect, and I don't even think he's that smart. Like, at all. So you take him away. You can literally kill him. Because somehow you're able to get Masande. But you couldn't get you couldn't get Tyrion. Who, like, is... Who would have been the easiest kill in the history of all kills. So it it's just man, I just don't get it. So you know, I am going to watch the series finale to see what happens. But I will say this, I think no matter what happens, Game of Thrones has lost its touch. And I don't think anyone will even be satisfied with this with the end of this series. To me, it's a real shame. This this could have ended in an awesome fashion. But that, that ship has sailed long ago. I can't imagine what George R.R. R. Martin actually thinks. What a tragedy. What, 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 what a travesty. All I can say, to sum this up, is goodbye to greatness that might have been.